So as you're seated, let's stay in that space and place of worship and prayer. <clears throat> and I'd invite you, I'm going to say three sentences, and I'm going to give a little space of silence in between each of them. And I'd invite you to listen and to repeat these words as a prayer. Quietly, just where you are, as we breathe in and recognize that God is with us and near us. <clears throat> Almighty Father, <clears throat> creator of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. And Jesus, Son of God, abide in us as we abide in you. Holy Spirit, breath of God, renew me and all the world. And we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God is with us. He's near to us. Jesus himself said that he is with his disciples always, even to the end of the age. And tonight, we're going to look at a time when it would appear on the surface that that's not the case. Look at the ascension of the risen king. And we're going to see the end of one chapter of Jesus' earthly ministry is actually the beginning of a brand new chapter. And the new chapter is not that Jesus has left us, left us. The beginning of the new chapter is that Jesus, who was crucified and raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father, though we do not see him, he is with us and he has sent us out into the world. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. We've been in Luke chapter 24 the last couple weeks, and we'll talk a bit about Luke 24 here in a moment, but as you're turning there, I'd like to talk to you about something. It's something that you already know, and I know this because we've talked about it, you've talked about it, and there's a sense in our church that we've gone through a lot of transition in the last year, okay? The reality is in this church, I think this church has been in transition every year, because we're always following the Lord. We're always sorting out how to be God's people together. We're sorting out next steps and who we're partnering with and um, where we're called to be. And so really, we've always been in transition. That's just the reality. And that's okay. But one of the constants when I think back and hear your stories of Providence Community Church and stories that preceded mine and Amy's time here, I hear a thread or two that go throughout the entirety of this church's existence of now about a dozen years. And the first one is this, mission. You've heard the buzzword in church circles, mission ul. This church has always been about being on mission because even in the transition, this church has always known and understood and tried to live out the fact that God is a God on mission and we are partnering with him to announce good news to all the world. 
This church has always been about mission, no matter who we're affiliated with or how we look or how we smell and talk and all this. Mission has always been one of the threads. And then um, a second thread that appeared about midway really strongly is a thread of spiritual formation. A really uh, strong and deep and abiding sense of we need to abide in Jesus. So another thread is this idea that we need to be formed more and more into the image of Christ and that how do these threads work together? Tonight, as we look at the ascension of Jesus, as it closes one chapter and opens up another chapter, we're going to see that these two threads have been a part of this church because they're a part of every church, mission, and spiritual formation. And so earlier I mentioned the Ecclesia Network, and the Ecclesia Network is a relational network of churches on mission that are keen to spiritual formation. So it feels like a good fit, and that's why we're talking to some of these pastors and thinking about what kind of impact could we have when it's not just us, but it's all these other churches that are on mission together. And I've been listening into a church in the Ecclesia Network in Pennsylvania, and I heard a statement that I think joins these two threads together in this church in a very beautiful way. And part of our focus tonight is these three words. They're on the screen here. And it says, the Christian life, or following Jesus, is a life of formation for mission. I'm not going to make you say that three times fast, but it sounds really neat when you just say formation for mission. Formation for mission. I love that. It's a way of tying those two threads together. Following Jesus is a life of formation for mission. And so when we look at tonight's text and at the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, and we look back to where we've been in Luke 24, we've seen these uh, moments of encountering the risen Jesus. And the last two weeks, our focus statement, where we really tried to get, as we were invited into the story, seeing Jesus, trying to see him with our mind's eye, trying to keep awake to the fact that he is present with us and even present with us right now, we've said this, every moment is an invitation to step out, to encounter Jesus, and to be transformed. Now what's the end of that statement? You see, formed. You see, in this church, we've been talking in the last two weeks about encountering the risen Jesus. And when we encounter the risen Jesus, if we step toward him, we see that he's been waiting for us and he's been inviting us into more and more life and joy and peace and mission. And that's where we find ourselves tonight in Luke chapter 24. But before we go much further, I want to continue to build our front porch and let's say, what do these words, spiritual formation and mission, mean for us tonight? Spiritual formation is this, and this is a quote we've used in this church before. I love this because it also ties those two threads together. Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. What Robert Mulholland Jr. gets at the core of his little definition of spiritual formation in his book, An Invitation to a Journey, is that spiritual formation is not just for us. 
So when we start with spiritual formation, when we talked the last two weeks about being formed each moment, stepping out and being with Jesus, we need to see that spiritual formation without this piece of the sake of others or without this next word we're going to talk about, mission, spiritual formation without mission is like buying a new car and letting it sit in your garage. It's nice to look at, but it really misses the point of why you have the car. My mom, God bless her, just got a Mini Cooper and she's wanted a Mini Cooper for a long time and she finally got a Mini Cooper. There is no way she parked that thing outside last night when the storms hit. She was having a garage sale this morning and she did not set up the garage sale because the Mini Cooper that's new had to sit in the garage. And no, I'm not saying my mother is not spiritually formed and you know, she's not here to defend herself. But spiritual formation without mission is missing the point. You can spend your whole life being formed to the image of Christ, but you miss God's desire, Jesus' desire to renew the world. To be fully spiritually formed is to be formed for the sake of others. Which leads us to our second word, mission. Announcing and living the good news or gospel of the kingdom of God. Mission is announcing, alerting the world to news. It's not a suggestion, and it's certainly not a question to trick six-year-olds into making decisions for Christ. It's an announcement that says, Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's kicked open the doors for life and life eternal, and you're invited in. And we're supposed to speak hope and announce good news, but we're also supposed to live in such a way that points to the kingdom in which Jesus reigns. You with me? Mission is always a message, but it is also the message we send when we, like Jesus, who announced the kingdom of God, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, cared for the poor and the outcast. We're not just to speak it, we're supposed to live because the kingdom of God is something that invades our whole being and it is all about mission. And so if to use our car analogy again, the problem here is mission without spiritual formation would be like driving that car all day, every day, and never filling it up with gas. We can do nice things and feed the hungry and care for the sick and poor like we do in this church. We can do that. But after a while, we're driving on empty and we're doing a lot of nice things, but it's missing God's heart to renew our hearts. So just as spiritual formation without mission misses God's heart to renew and invite all the people into the kingdom, mission without this abiding well of life with Jesus is doing a bunch of nice things, but really it's not really lasting in your heart or the hearts of others. You with me? Spiritual formation and mission. <clears throat> Which one comes more naturally to you? And it's okay to say neither because they don't come naturally to anyone apart from one crucial component. And that component is a person, and the person is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is sent by Jesus after he ascends into heaven, and thus brings us to Luke chapter 24. So let's look here. Luke chapter 24, right at the end, verse 50. You'll notice why I did such a long 
introduction because we only have three verses tonight. Joke's on you, it's not just three verses tonight. So let's start at verse 50, okay? Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. When is Jesus doing this? If you look at the verse ahead of you in Luke chapter 24, we looked last week at a scene that happened on Easter Sunday. But don't let that word then trick you. The when of this passage, and you can write this down in your notes, is in Luke's second book, Acts. Luke wrote Acts, and Acts and Luke are best when they're together, just like our community Bible experience. Do you remember that? So you can make a note of Acts 1, chapter 3. We're told by Luke in Acts 1, chapter 3, that Jesus didn't just appear for one day when he was raised on Easter. Jesus actually appeared for 40 days. And for 40 days in Luke, and excuse me, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he taught them about what? If Jesus had 40 days and only 40 days before he was going to be ascended, like we look tonight, what would he talk about? Would he talk about all the political things that we get hung up on? Would he talk about all the legalistic things we want to talk about, about not drinking and smoking and dating girls who do? Or did he talk about the most central thing he talked about in all of his earthly ministry, and so it follows that he would do so when he's raised and only spending 40 days with him again. He's talking about the kingdom of God. That's Acts chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 3. There's 40 days he's been spending with them. And so the when of this, don't let it fool you, Luke's trying to wrap up his gospel so he can get into Acts, the second part of his um, volume on the life and work and ministry of Jesus in the church. Don't let that fool you. This is 40 days later, and what does Jesus do? He leads his people. Who is he leading? Acts, another place, gives us a clue that it's not just the 11 disciples. It's also women who saw him at the tomb. It's also upwards of 120 people. And he leads them, he walks them away from where they're staying. Bethany is on the slopes of the hill called the Mount of Olives. And Bethany and this slope of the hill of the Mount of Olives is where Jesus' triumphal entry on a donkey began. And he's taking them full circle and he leads them out to where it all started that week he was crucified and raised from the dead. He takes them to the slope of the Mount of Olives at a place called Bethany and there's 120 people gathered around him. And I just love the fact that in this church we're about 120 people, human beings. And maybe I'm a pastor and I might be exaggerating a titch, but wouldn't, isn't it something to know that even just in this marker, I just got hung up on these words, then he led them out. I love that. But he didn't just lead them. What did he do? He blessed them. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. There's this priestly way about lifting up his hands where they see the nails that reminded them that they didn't just get saved from suffering, but through suffering. Jesus suffered for them, and he leads them. He's led them for years, and he's going to bless them before he goes. He leads them out, and he bless them. Is Jesus leading us? Is Jesus blessing us? These are the questions, Pastor Bud, and your leaders, and all of you should be asking. Is he leading us? 
Because there's going to come a time where we need to have one chapter closed and another one open, and we need to be led out and blessed. And that's where we stand today, not on the hills of Bethany, but here in Garland, Texas, and everywhere else, because you guys are spread out, right? Jesus leads them, he blesses them, and then what does he do? What does he do? Excuse me. Look at verse 51. While he was blessing them, what happened? He withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Now Luke, again, will give us a fuller picture if you jump ahead to Acts chapter 1. But what he wants to keep in view here is not all the specifics of what happened. And what he doesn't want to communicate here is that Jesus, who had told him that he was going to go soon to the Father, is not abandoning them. What he does in this moment, quickly, and Luke does it in just a few words, is Jesus who was leading them and blessing them, just as he had done for years, in an instant just slips away and withdraws from them. He had done this on the road to Emmaus, if you look back two weeks ago. He had done this in their presence, just appearing before them in that room. But this is not a disappearance. There is something different about this moment. And so what we're going to get hung up on if we don't stop and see what Luke's trying to do while Jesus is blessing them and ascending, he was carried up into heaven, we miss the point if we think that Jesus put a rocket pack on and jumped up into the sky and went out to space and then parked it on heaven, which is somewhere by Ursa Minor. That's ridiculous. And these people did not quite have that space-time NASA idea that Jesus, who was raised bodily, just went somewhere else bodily that we could fly to someday. I think of that Russian cosmonaut, or maybe it was a Russian leader, that came and said after they went up into the space, and he looked around and he said, hey, there's no God here, no sign of him. Well, that's a He was making a a point, and he was not being serious. Well, Luke's not being serious, too. So what does he mean when Jesus withdrew and went up to heaven? Well, what do we mean when we talk about heaven? The problem is here, we think heaven, and we think about the funeral that we've been to. And we think about the people that we're told who are up there, right? Looking down here, right? And we begin to get lost and in this ascension temptation where we think Jesus just abandoned us and that God and our friends and our beloved ones are actually very, 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 very far away up there. And the reality is what they knew is that heaven is not somewhere up there. Heaven, simply put, and this is what I'll tell my three-year-old when she asks me about heaven, heaven is this, where God is. Where God is. They had a sense that God was lofty and holy, and so the best way they could communicate that was up. But what happens is, after centuries, we get this weird distortion, like in The Simpsons, where he's up there with a beard on the country club with the clouds, and Jesus just rocket-packed up there. But no, Jesus isn't up there. He's actually right here. And heaven is where God is, and heaven is where God's will is done, and that's why we pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a place where God dwells, and Jesus withdrew from them and went to the Father. Why did he go to the Father? Why did he withdraw from them and go to be with God? He withdrew from them because the ascension has far less to do with our geography about up in space. It has more to do with his exaltation. 
Less to do with where is Jesus, more to do with who is Jesus. You still with me? We're still keeping our threads of spiritual formation and mission, but it has everything to do with the ascension. And it has everything to do with the ascension because of who Jesus is. He ascended to go to the Father. And every first century Jew and every one of the 120 that witnessed this knew that the one who dwells in heaven is the one who rules on earth. Every Roman that would hear news that Jesus was not only raised but ascended had the spine-tingling sensation that their emperor was the one who ascended to Mount Olympus in Greece. Or, you know, in Rome, you've got this idea that the emperor was reigning in heaven. There are inscriptions about the one who reigns in the clouds. So every first century person had this idea, and they knew what we didn't. That it's less about where he is and more about who he is, and that is this. That the one who dwells in heaven is the one who rules on earth. And the witnesses to this act don't cry. They're filled with joy. Look at verse 52. And they worshipped him. Do you know the second to last verse of Luke is the very first time we see people worshipping Jesus. People have said great things about Jesus, but in Luke's gospel, he's very careful to wait and say they worshipped him here. Because all these people, most of them were Jewish and they only worshipped God alone. But now there's this sense that the one who is now in heaven, away from them, more than a disappearance, more than just being up there, is the exalted and reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And they worshipped him... And they returned to Jerusalem with what? Sadness, sorrow, frustration, confusion. All of those emotions we have seen in this chapter of Luke. All of these emotions we've journeyed with these disciples through despair, through doubt, through wondering. What do we do now? But the moment that Jesus leaves and what Luke is showing us is a sense of finality but also glory. For the first time in Luke... Jesus does something incredible and they're not freaked out by it. They worship him and there's a sense that now Jesus is who he said he is. The reigning Lord, the Father's Messiah, God's chosen King. The ascension temptation is that God is far away and up there, but the reality is Jesus is with God, but also with us. And the thing about them being in Jerusalem and being full of joy, and then it says continually in the temple blessing God, Jesus went because he told them to be in Jerusalem and wait for a promise. There's a connection here between Jesus' going and the Spirit coming. There is no mission without the ascension, and there's no mission without the Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Spirit. So, where's our threads? Spiritual formation and mission. You still with me? Alrighty, let's look at the last verse of our time in Luke here. 
They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And verse 53, they were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus leads them out. He ascends. And what did the disciples do? They worshiped. Luke's gospel also ends where it began. It began with Zechariah, a priest, in the temple. And now it ends with them going back to the temple. And what are they doing in the temple? They're doing four things. The first thing is they were worshiping Jesus. And then they obeyed Jesus because, as we're going to see here in a moment, last week he told them, wait in Jerusalem. So they worshiped and they're obeying him. And then they're joyful. They're responding with joy. Last week was in their disbelief they were joyful. Now they're just joyful. They're excited. It's not grief now, but great joy. Then the fourth thing they're doing in verse 53 is blessing. Blessing is a way of saying thank you, God. Thank you that we've had time with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to look like Jesus. And they knew that there was work to be done. So what did they do? They worshipped. And the reality here, when we think about spiritual formation and mission, is that worship fuels mission. They were told to wait. And just as you know, if you were in sports or anything with music or if you were giving a presentation in school or work or otherwise, you don't do something important unless you're preparing. If you're doing something, you're preparing, right? I'm not just going to go walk into DFW and say, let's go to Russia, and I don't have anything ready with me, right? So, how are they preparing? Worship. Worship fuels mission. There's our phrase, formation for mission. The reality is what we do here ought to propel us out there, but we must have this component, which is the Holy Spirit. Would you turn back or swipe back in Luke chapter 24, just up ahead of these verses? Would you look with me? I'm just going to read them briefly about what ties together spiritual formation and mission, which is the Holy Spirit. Why was it so important for Jesus to go and the Holy Spirit to come? Let's start in verse 46. Thus it is written, the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Check and check. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. They go back to Jerusalem. And what is the mission of these people? It's to announce bad news or good news? Good news. Repentance and forgiveness of sins to whom? All nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And see, here's the promise. I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Why was it so important for Jesus to go and the Holy Spirit to come, what his Father promised and Jesus is sending? Look here with me on the screen briefly as we start to wind down. The common denominator for both formation and mission is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conforms us and reminds us of who Jesus is, what the Father has done, and the Holy Spirit also gives us power to go out and proclaim and live the good news of the kingdom. 
Second, the Spirit conforms us to the image of Jesus and empowers us in the name of Jesus. So he conforms us to Jesus and in the name of Jesus to go out. And finally, mission is the overflow of the Spirit's formation work in our lives. This is going to be played out in beautiful and powerful, incredible detail when the promise of Jesus, the promised Holy Spirit, comes on his disciples. Let's close our time and look Fast forward to this moment when the promised power arrives in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 25. This is Peter. It's a time after the Passover called Pentecost, and everybody's still gathered from all different nations, all different times, and the Spirit finally came just as Jesus said. Jesus ascended so the Spirit could come. You with me? So then the Spirit comes, and you guys know it. If your kids were in childcare last week because they had this way cool hat with fire on their heads, and I asked Emma what it was all about, and she said, because God puts fire on our heads. Close, but no cigar. It was an awesome thing. I love that. They've already talked about this, so you can ask them, because we're not going to read that part. We're going to start here in verse 25. This is Peter with the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been worshiping, they've been preparing, and now God's promise comes, and they're proclaiming good news. He quotes a psalm, just like Jesus told him, everything points to me. The Spirit reminds him of these psalms, and he's saying, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. We've got the scriptures pointing to this person. They are witnesses to him, saying, this Jesus whom you crucified God has made him Lord and Messiah. And he's telling them this because God raised him up. Look at verses 32 and 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And them, they have received from the Father the promise of the what? Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you both see and hear. All of this thing you're hearing and seeing is the Holy Spirit of God that's been poured out because Jesus has been raised and he's been exalted at the right hand of God. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. The long-promised Spirit has been poured out He is God's king. He's the fulfillment of all of Israel's story. He's quoting Israel's scriptures in Psalm 110 and Psalm 116. And he's saying, repent. Look, when they heard this, that they killed God's king, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We already killed this guy. He's already been raised and he's gone now. He's, ex- he's been exalted to God. Crap! What should we do? Crap didn't make my Bible translation in this one. Peter said to them the same words Jesus told them. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Do you remember just a moment ago we read, so that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to whom? All nations in my name. All nations are gathered for this festival. The Holy Spirit has come. They've been waiting. They've been formed. They've been preparing. And now this overflow of the Spirit has spilled out to the greatest sermon uh, that, that these people have ever heard to this point in time. Unless they heard the Sermon on the Mount. But I love this one very much. And all of a sudden, now they hear, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that what? Your sins may be forgiven. What Jesus told them and started, they now have the power to go out and preach in his name. And they're able to do this because he was ascended and he is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And the reigning Lord in heaven and earth told them, in my name you can repent and be forgiven. And beyond that, once you repent and are forgiven, what does he say in verse 38 at the end? You will receive the gift of the what? Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. The promise is for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Weeks before the sermon, they had been formed, they had been meditating and praying and worshiping and remembering Jesus' words resonating in their heads and hearts that the new world that God has shown us now in the risen Jesus is for you and you and you and you and you're welcome to get in on it. Verses 40, verse 40, he said, And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message, he proclaimed good news about the kingdom. Those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added to about the 120 who had believed and were forgiven and repented in his name. Then what happened? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. So it wasn't just the proclamation, it was the lived reality of the kingdom of God. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, they spent much time together. They broke bread in their homes and they praised God and they had goodwill with all the people. They were formed for mission. Our church is called to be formed for mission. We miss the boat if we've been gifted the new car and we leave it in the garage. You miss the boat if you have been driving around and doing a lot of nice things, but there is no power and kingdom influence running through your work. We are formed for mission, worship, formation, that we've seen with these disciples fueled their mission, their message, their life. And following Jesus, of course, is both the threads together. So, do the two threads work together in our church? 
Have we been in places of imbalance? Are we in places of imbalance today? That's the question I'm asking. Are there places of imbalance in your life? What I'm not saying when I'm saying mission is simply, do you go and knock on your neighbor's door and give them tracts? <laughs> do you go to that person in the lunchroom and say, five seconds after you die, where are you going to be? But are you living a life in such a way where your time with Jesus is spilling out into conversations about Jesus, conversations about the good things God has for you in your life? Is it a natural way? Because the biggest prayer I have for our girls beyond, uh, it's, it's two things. It's about loving God and loving their neighbor. The first prayer is this, God, I pray that Emma and Nora would have an easy way with you. I pray that they wouldn't have the baggage that I did about mission about trying to evangelize and win souls. Rather, I pray that it would be as natural as breathing to talk about the risen king who is with us and not be ashamed and not sit in places where they're embarrassed and have to do disclaimers about the risen king who has impacted them, who has encountered them, who has empowered them. I pray that Emma and Nora would have an easy way, and I pray that I would walk into their bedroom and hear them talking to Jesus out loud. And I pray that I would hear stories of them going to the kid who's been bullied and has been uh, rejected and who has been cast off and I want to hear their teachers call me and say that they went and sat with them at lunch and I want to hear them love and welcome every person who looks different from them and smells different from them and that's why we take them downtown it's stupid to bring three-year-olds and one-year-olds out late with homeless people but we want them to have an easy way and that brings us to my second prayer that they would love everyone they meet. And to me, that's mission because I saw Jesus, a natural way, calling his father Abba and relating to people as brother and sister. That's my vision for mission. And it only comes from a place of beholding the person and face of Jesus. Because if we get the heart of God, we get the heart of God's, we get God's heart for the world. And it causes us to welcome and embrace and speak life and hope where there's darkness. That's what I'm after in mission. And I trust you in the Holy Spirit to lead you into those places if you're awake to it. Do you see your relationships then as places where God's inviting you in to mission, to speak and live the good news of the kingdom? Do you make formation and worship and community a priority? Do you make time with him? You won't just find it like we talked about last week. I know I've been beating that horse dead. I know I've been beating that drum, but our church cannot move forward into the next season if we are not a people of prayer and of prayer and community together, being God's people together, working as God's people together. Is this formation propelling you outward? And if it isn't, that's okay. That awareness is a gift for you. If you're finding yourself detached in this space and you're finding yourself distracted in that place where you're alone, I'd suggest 
talking to us, not that we have the answers, but it's in the talking that you reveal, well, what am I beholding? What am I making time for? And is that a place of distraction? Is there a wound or is there something deep within me that's preventing life and growth? Is there something that needs to be pruned? It's okay if you're distracted and this worship and these spaces of abiding are hard for you. You need to recognize that because even the awareness will lead you to new growth. So, church, will we be a people who are formed for others, who are formed for whom God has called us? And are we formed for who is here to love God and love others? That is the question, not just this week, but every week. Okay? Can I pray? Can we join together in communion and encounter the risen Jesus in the body and the blood, in the bread and the wine, And can we sing together as God's people and would that singing and reflecting and beholding propel us out into those relationships for his glory in his name. Let's pray. Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Not just in this community, but in the community that is yet to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Set it up in our midst. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. Abide in us as we abide in you. Bring healing and peace and life where there is death and despair. Would your presence be near and known in our hearts. Holy Spirit, Breath of God, draw us closer and closer to your heart. Your heart that beats for us and loves us because it beats for the world and loves the world. Propel us into spaces where we can be obedient and speak good news and live good news. Spirit, keep us awake. Renew us in all the world. Bless us, your people. Lead us. In the name of Jesus, the ascended King. Amen.